1: Hi regular listeners, you may have spotted that we've changed our name. It's now Honey and Co the Food Sessions.
2: So if you hear this sound, it's just us making dinner.
1: Well, that and the fact that we're not allowed to use our old title anymore.
2: It's just been a bit of a thing, but don't worry about it.
1: We hope you enjoy the show.
2: Hi, thank you so much for downloading our podcast the Honey and Co. My name is Ita Sulovic. Me and my wife have some restaurants in Fitrovia and a couple of cookbooks. Ever since we opened our restaurant, we've been meeting so many incredible people who are cooking, who are making food, who are writing about food, and we just wanna have a little bit more time with them. We invite our favorite people once a month or twice a month to our deli, Honey and Spice, and we sit down and have a longer chat we cook from their books and from their culture and this is a recording of these talks i hope you enjoy it
1: tonight we had the lovely kitty travis speaking to us aka la grotta ices Um, she makes amazing ice creams on a small scale using all natural ingredients beautiful stuff and she just wrote this amazing book it's all about these ice creams she makes amazing little tricks on how to make ice cream at home, how to get the most out of your fruit, your vegetables, your leaves, your herbs, everything. She's an excellent speaker, so passionate about ice cream. It was a pleasure to speak to her. Listen up for any tips and excellent for nice hot weather.
2: I know that usually there's an eagerness in these talks for us to stop talking and start serving food, and I think it's, the pressure is doubling up, I feel when it comes to ice cream and not not. just any ice cream we have La Grotta ice cream with Kitty Travers uh, which is I'm sure some of you have heard some of you have tried I certainly have and I have to say that there is something about these ice cream that Kitty makes that is just it's like nothing you know I've ever tasted she somehow she manages to captures flavours and not just flavours almost I want to say feelings, which is a little bit too much, a little bit too much.
0: I've never used feelings before. Not feelings, (laughs) but let's
2: say a feel of, say, summer or a fruit or a flavor.
0: Yeah.
2: And this is something that you very rarely encounter in the the food, say, industry, and uh, even more so in ice cream, which is one of those things that is so heavily produced and there's so many artificials there's so much you know packaging yeah there's so many tricks and cheats which we love but when you try the real thing as you know I've certainly have and some of you will have and all of you will later that's bigging it up (laughs) (laughs) Um, it just it doesn't compare it doesn't even compare and I do feel that ice cream is one of those things that, you know, are actually they're not that difficult to make. You do need some skill and some kit, but it's not that hard to make. And it's so very special when you make it with real ingredients mm-hmm. instead of you know tons of emulsifiers and, and you know milk powder and all. That.
0: And there's nothing like having freshly churned ice cream straight out of the machine. That's yeah. the best. Best thing in the world, and that's what you can only really do if you make it at home, unless you go and work in an ice cream factory.
2: (laughs) So this was your hook? Is this why you became an an ice cream maker? Because you wanted to have ice cream straight from the machine?
0: Um, no, that's why I teach ice cream making because I do classes as well, and I want—I mean, there's little tips that you can adapt to make your ice cream better. But really, I think I feel like ice cream should be really good. Ice cream should be available for everybody, and
2: everybody a right, should really. know. It's, yeah. <laughs> yeah. it's a human right, <laughs> yeah. good yeah. ice cream. Absolutely. So how, how did you end up in this kind of very niche?
0: Well, it's a question of the that world. if I um, ask that question of myself, then I get into a bit of a panic and think, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, this is really strange. Why do I make ice cream? It is quite a...
2: No, how? How did you get to it? How? um, Why, I think, you know, I don't think we have that long.
0: (laughs) (laughs) How? um, I was, I suppose, it probably begins with not really knowing what I wanted to do with myself, aged about 15 or 16.
2: It's always a good starting point.
0: Being at school and really not enjoying it at all and failing at everything in quite a dramatic way um so
2: a uh, career and academic research so really
0: scratch. I mean like I think when I was 16 my I think what I wanted to do was have a nightclub which is really <laughs> ridiculous now <laughs> but um well actually the first food job I didn't actually the first food job I had was when I was I went to art school because that's what some people do when they don't know what to do with themselves well, so I, I went and did a, for med school, I did a foundation so. yeah absolutely didn't did have I those say grades. that out loud <laughs> didn't have any money and in my spare spare time I worked as a greengrocer for a really posh greengrocer shop in Chelsea. I was this kind of dozy, dreamy greengrocer who went around spraying the rocket and like admiring these melons wrapped in beautiful tissue paper that used to arrive from Italy and beautiful ingredients and I think that's the first time I'd possibly really seen these gorgeous ingredients because I grew up in Twickenham doing it You know, once every fortnight, Sainsbury's supermarket sweep of the Sainsbury's Essentials. And um, so I do remember that. And then I worked in lots of food jobs in my spare time for a really long time, not ever having the nerve to really start cooking. And one of them was working at a Poilam Bakery when it first opened in Belgravia, which is this, it was the first kind of sourdough bread to come to London. And I suppose it was in about two thousand and one. What Monsieur Poilin did with that shop was make a very simple product very well and absolutely ref he was he wouldn't budge and wouldn't make the things that people really wanted, which was sandwiches and pizza and takeaway salty, fatty, tasty food. He just stuck to making this really pure. Because they just bread. do the one
2: thing, just the um bread.
0: they do a couple of pastries but they didn't You know, you'd get people coming into the shop. I worked in the shop. I worked in the bakery. um, And you'd get people coming in the shop asking for kind of like, asking what it was all about because it was £5.90 for a loaf of bread and (laughs) nearly 20 years ago that was completely outrageous. (coughs) I don't know. I think people sort of maybe expected for that price something a bit more dazzling looking or the kind of goat's cheese and pepperonata on top of the bread as well. But um, Poilin just sold this product and had complete faith in it. And so I worked there for a long time selling this bread, and I really adored I really adored it. But what happened at the same time was I learned to speak French working in the shop. And after a while, got itchy feet and thought, I need to go and open my nightclub. <laughs> 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 and, um, okay, I, enough
2: of the veg and the bread. It's, okay, night, it's the, time to dance. Nightclub yeah. time.
0: Sorry, I am rambling, but uh, I... After I'd worked there for a year, I learned how to speak French. I was the only English girl in the shop and all of the other people that worked there were French. That is
2: such a London thing, I have to say.
0: What's that? Like picking
2: up a language...
0: In a shop. In a shop. That's in how London. I speak Italian yeah. as well, from yeah, working too. in restaurants in London. Absolutely. So I set off to make my fortune with my newly learnt French language. Oh my god! I was watching TV one morning before work, and it was like GMTV, and it was the Cannes Film Festival. <laughs> this is really embarrassing, but it was Billy Piper. <laughs> Like on stage on the beach, and I thought, "Mm, yeah, that looks fun. They need
2: they need me. (laughs) I want
0: some of that, and so I bought a one-way ticket on Go Airlines for eighteen pounds to Nice, and because you could do that in those days, kind of packed up my bags and left Prolan. And Prolan wrote me a letter to give to a chef friend that he had in the south of France, and he said I should look him up and go and work for him. And I didn't heed his advice, and instead ended up as a waitress in Cannes. Who was the chef? He was called Roger Vergé, and okay. he, not just Anish. Anish, yeah. Like one of the biggest. <laughs> well, he he wrote a book that I really loved that I inherited when I was young called Cuisine of the Sun. It was one of my favourite books. But yeah,
2: it's an, it's amazing.
0: It's really beautiful. It's kind of these uh, just essential sort of South of France recipes, very simple, very ingredient led.
2: So a, lo- a lot of people would kind of give their right arm for a letter of introduction to Roger Verge. <laughs> <laughs> you, ju- you just said, no, nah, actually, I was I'm just going to bust tables. I was a little
0: noodle. I went up to the restaurant where he worked, and I saw him standing in the garden, and I was too shy to give him my letter and introduce myself. So it went Aww. back in my suitcase, and I ended up having this really horrible job at the Hilton Hotel and being a terrible waitress. But...
2: With the vests.
0: Oh, like mini skirts and air techs I was just I was I'm so absent-minded I was really a really awful waitress and I was actually quite bullied I really didn't have a good time there at all the French people that worked there thought I was completely hopeless and idiotic it wasn't a nice working environment and I didn't really know what I was doing there And um, there was this amazing ice cream shop near the Croisette just off the beach that I used to go to for breakfast every day when I was on a late shift. And it would open at sort of 10.30 in the morning. And it was this beautiful little dark ice cream shop with green leather seats and smoked glass windows and two ladies working in there. And it had a menu on the wall that used to change every day. And it was all flavors that were from the market in France. I mean, in can like cherry and little almond sweets and um, Bulgarian yoghurt ice cream and things like that. And I just loved it. So I used to go there every day before work and just, um, I'd never had ice cream like that before because I'd grown up having the long yellow bricks of ice cream that were very plain. And I really don't think that it was, you know, this was 20 years ago in London and there wasn't anything... There wasn't any kind of fancy food in those days. There weren't any farmer's markets. You ate what the supermarkets provided that was really dictated to you. So this was my first time of living somewhere where all these other amazing seasonal ingredients were on offer to regular people. I just didn't know how they were making this ice cream, this texture, it seemed like this magical food. It wasn't like any ice cream my mum had made when I was growing up, which was the kind of stuff where she used to freeze it in the icebox and then magi-mix it and put meringue in to kind of put she used fluff to put egg whites in sorbet to add air to them and fluff them up and they were nice but they weren't magical, they didn't have that texture and so I got a bee in my bonnet about making ice cream and thought how do you make it and I didn't know how to find out how you made it and there weren't any books so that's what I set about kind of doing in a really slow way <laughs> <laughs> for sort of the next ten years
2: so, but you did, you know, kind of sit off on a journey that took you to professional kitchens all across the world.
0: There weren't any courses at that point where you could go and learn ice cream making. The only things on offer was a really industrial ice cream making course at Reading University. And, yeah, that not, was about not, it. Not quite
2: the south of France.
0: No. <laughs> it didn't have the same pull, quite.
2: But you did, you know, you say slowly, I don't know how to take but it does seem that there was... Real tenacity, in kind of finding your way to was it CIA, which is the the culinary. No, it was
0: um, it was called the Institute of Culinary Education in New York. It was Peter Kump's former. Okay. A, a smaller one than the CIA, yeah, which is another culinary school in New York.
2: Yeah, so it was a very still, you know, prestigious school and you yeah. know quite full-on in terms of the expectation. You work in you know the illustrious kitchens of of St John and you you kind of play it down but there is a lot of, you know, you you grafted for it and, you you know, in a lot of ice cream kitchens across the world there seems to be a lot of tenacity there.
0: I'm good at kind of sniffing out the good stuff. It's one of my... I've got a good nose for good stuff, I think.
2: For where to go. For
0: where to go, yeah. And I mean, I ended up... And this is really important, actually, I think, in the story of how you... uh, because it's a privilege to be able to have the time to find what you want to do and find what you love doing and I'm really conscious of the fact that I'm very lucky to have to be able to do what I really love doing if I hadn't what happened was I was left some money in a will by my grandma she I was left 10,000 pounds and I spent it on going to culinary school in New York and if I hadn't have had that money I don't really know what would have happened because education in a way my basic state school education didn't give me what I needed. I was crap at for everything.
2: Forever. Ice cream making.
0: Yeah, and all the confidence for even working and or anything. I left crumpled and you know a bit lost. And it was only going to culinary school, which I'm really lucky to have been able to do. That. I found that I was good at something because up to that point I hadn't been, and that's tricky when you're sort of 16 years old and your friends are all really clever and have all gone off to university, and you don't really know. So that was a real, um, that was a real privilege, and it makes me realise how kind of important education is.
2: And <laughs> um, you know, a spot of luck.
0: And a spot of luck. Well, um, yeah. So I went off to culinary school, and I. I've really enjoyed it for the first time. I loved every minute of it, and I was good at it, and it was a revelation, and it changed everything, because um, I got some confidence, I suppose.
2: And then you write a lot in this book, and and a lot of a lot of what we're talking about here is in the book about reaching out to kind of specific places that you wanted to work in, or how how do how do you even. Find out like where where it's gonna.
0: Well, um, I can't. Other than
2: having a great nose, you know.
0: I th- I can't remember where I read when I read it. I think maybe after culinary school, I read this book called *The um, Man Who Ate Everything*. No, it's before culinary school. Before I went, I read a really marvelous food book called *The Man Who Ate Everything* by Jeffrey Steingarten, and he writes about becoming a food writer and trying to teach himself to love every food so that he can judge it uh, fairly when he's a, as a food critic and um, he has a chapter about ice cream that I completely pored over where he talks about the best ice cream in the world and uh, so I wrote to every gelateria he wrote about in this chapter asking if I could come and work for them and I just didn't get anywhere with it at all and found it was a very closed industry because people didn't want to let you in their kitchens to learn the secrets really? of making amazing ice cream well, yeah, I think probably one of the reasons is that a lot of these businesses are quite small family businesses and they don't want outsiders in, but also um, something I've kind of been a bit disappointed by, consequently, having been to see how ice cream's made, is that it's not as always as delightful as, as you might one, imagine. Yeah. There's a lot of kind of big plastic tubs of weird greases and white powders going into your ice cream mix that yeah. maybe people don't want to know that are, ma- are part of the recipe. Yeah, and it, and it part is... Part of the myth. It is
2: it is really one of those things <laughs> that have so been taken over by, you know, food supplements or what, what have you, that it's really, it's so rare to find really, really good ice cream, like exceptional ice cream. You almost need to kind of invent it, maybe, and I I feel in many ways this is what you did.
0: Well, I think think throughout history there's always been... I mean, ice cream started by being a food that aristocratic families could eat because they were wealthy enough to have ice houses in their garden where they could keep ice year-round, and then French pastry chefs making, you know, custard bases usually and then moulding it into these incredible moulds and serving it at grand dinners. And what the very wealthy people have, everyone else wants as well. So there was the sort of trickle-down effect and there would be really horrible ice cream for sale in the street as well that was probably a bit of a wallpaper paste and And
2: water. It's always been like that, I think. Well, I will say to you guys that, that, you know, unlike the the ice cream places that you went to kitty was generous enough when our pastry chef wanted to learn more about ice cream we wrote to kitty and she welcomed welcomed georgia into your vegetable shed
0: yeah she came and spent a week with me working and making ice cream and it was lovely but that's because there aren't any secrets to it i mean when people write articles about things they love putting the secret? To, there aren't secrets. It's just good food and with a little bit of attention, attention and um, kind of care, a bit maybe a bit of care. That's it. It's care, but that that there isn't time for that in mass-produced food. So <laughs> you really are better off making it yourself <laughs> at home to get the best stuff.
2: So you travelled around, you learned, you worked in some terrific places. You got the technique. How do you decide to open an ice cream? Manufact I don't know, ice cream make because it's not
0: a... Um, I started, I worked at St. John, I was pastry chef there for four and a half years. I saved, um, I saved enough when I was there to buy a little Piaggio Appe like they have in the markets in Italy, which I still use, so I've had that for 10 years. And The I, same one? Yeah, the same one. These things are... They s- don't break. The, <laughs> unbelievable. They're like matchbox cars. And if they do break, they cost about £15 to repair, so they're really great. And um, I started making it at home, and then I made ice cream in a kind of railway arch in Bermondsey, which was a bit drippy and gross, and I sold it in farmer's markets in London, that was how I began. Were
2: you, like, manning the the stand and selling your ice cream? Yeah,
0: I, I started in Islington Farmer's Market, Where the rule was that you had to all of your ingredients had to come from within 25 miles, I think, of Islington, which meant there was no coffee for sale in the market. So that that was quite um, upset everyone a lot. No chocolate and no vanilla, and you had to use different ingredients. I had to, and there were no strawberries. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got good dairy suppliers, but um, you had to kind of think a bit more creatively about what you're going to make because you couldn't make strawberry ice cream all year round you had to so I started experimenting with leaves and I've always really wanted to not having worked in Italy a lot not not wanting just to copy what Italians do I love Italy I love going there but I don't want to make an inferior product to what they do so well there. I'd rather make something... I love travelling and I, lo- I want to make something that's special to where we are and where I live in London and particular and tastes of it a little bit.
2: So there's, there's a lot of kind of park foraging... and There's a there's lot of
0: idiosyncrasies and flavours that you wouldn't be able to get anywhere else that yeah. I hope one day people will grow up remembering, you know, the kids that come and have my ice cream.
2: Yeah, the, the lemon verbena from where is it, Bermondy Park? Or? I can't tell
0: you. <laughs> <laughs> it's in the book. Uh, the lemon verbena bush is in um, the Geraldine Mary Harmsworth Park. Yeah, I've got I've got a kind of map in my head of all of the
2: all of the, different all of the fig and trees leaves.
0: and shoots and leaves and verbena bushes and walnut trees and there's a lot that grows, you know, but um, it doesn't always come to fruition because it's not hot enough, so I use leaves a lot because a lot of leaves have got lovely flavour. So much flavour.
2: Mm. Yeah. We're we have a tiny earthy. little uh, fig leaf outside. I saw it. Yeah. P- it's really pretty. And we, ha- we, well we, we just stole uh,
0: this morning from our neighbour.
2: We steal from our neighbours oh. the leaves for the fig leaf ice cream. Yeah. But we're hoping next year this guy is <laughs> going <laughs> to... be
1: enough. <laughs> well,
2: many? you don't need a lot.
0: You need more than the five <laughs> leaves on actually. Well, next
2: year, you know, last year we didn't even have the five leaves.
0: But they they grow everywhere fig trees. They I do. mean, they yeah. grow they all do over have Britain. Like a, a massive
1: yeah. tree. And what's, I agree, London is excellent for foraging.
2: Of certain things. Certain things. So you started with the farmer's market and.
0: Um, I started with the farmer's market. It's been very slow. I've just bought more machines. I've got three ice cream machines now. I just bought them bit by bit. I make, I've make. i now got a nice premises where I make the ice cream, which is an old greengrocers, Victorian greengrocers shop that had been empty for...
2: So you've come full circle.
0: Yeah, it's funny. It's in a funny little square in South London, a little old greengrocers shop, and I have my kitchen in there. And I sell at the market on Saturdays. I supply a few local shops. It's very small, and I teach ice cream making. I've been doing that for about seven years up in Sheffield. Kind of... Nottinghamshire, the School, Nottingham of, the school yeah, of Artisan Food. amazing, this place. Which is really so nice. So lovely. Yeah, and now I have the book, which I'm really pleased about because... I the book, write I, w- it I so want to long. talk about
2: it at length, but just a split... Just answer me this, because this is... You know, I'm running... A restaurant, and that's kind of you know not so weather dependent, but ice cream. I mean, in London, come on, you have like three days like this in the year.
0: Yeah, this is definitely the 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 best weather I've ever had for serving ice cream today. (laughs) But it's funny because people. One of the things I love about ice cream is the sort of cultural idiosyncrasies of the way people eat it as you travel around the world, like in the States, they are really rich ice cream because they've got this huge dairy industry and they've got such a tons and tons of milk and cream to use up and everyone eats ice cream all the time and it's, and it's similar in Italy people just eat ice cream like, they're, like businessmen in suits walking down the road after work and you don't really see that here but what I've learnt um, is that in Britain people like treat food like kind of treating themselves and actually this past winter I sold more ice cream wholesale than I had the previous summer because people eat it in tubs sitting in front of the telly and really? as a kind mm. of comfort and, and a treat against the miserable weather I mean like the biggest consumer of ice cream I think is Denmark possibly and that's not the not the
2: sunniest not
0: the most Mediterranean scorching place so Every every country I have ever travelled to, I always find out about how they eat ice cream. And there's always an interesting story behind it. I mean, like Iceland, for example, has a really strong ice cream eating culture. And it's because at the end of the Second World War, there were a lot of um, naval bases there. And, it, and it's a very insular country, historically, Iceland. And so to have these swarthy US airmen arrive was quite a glamorous exciting thing uh, to have this outside influence and people took ice cream eating and hot dogs from them and now they're they're like couriers to Britain ice cream and hot dogs to Iceland and it's their most kind of popular food. That is so... And they have all these swimming pools in Iceland so instead of going to the pub people go swimming till late at night and then walk back home with an ice cream afterwards it's really lovely. Sounds amazing <laughs> yeah.
2: It sounds amazing. It sounds much more, maybe, appealing than a lonely tub on the sofa. Yeah, yeah, it
0: doesn't sound great, but, you know, we're doing our best with... Yeah, 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 no, we're not complaining. (laughs)
1: Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. you have an Airbnb your home might be worth more than you think find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host <laughs>
2: wow. this book I have to say is I want to talk about it visually first because I think it's stunning i I think it's so have you guys have seen this book or you will have a look later it's just so vibrant with color it's um, so kooky, like it's not like anything else that I've seen. Um, it really makes you want to have ice cream, like oh, achingly good. so. Oh, you great. just want to have ice cream, <laughs> and it has the funky little ice cream font, which is so sweet. Yeah. How d- how did the visual language of it evolve, and how did it start?
0: Well, the for top the um the kind of font, the ice cream font, I I have wonderful designers who designed the book for me and what I bought to them was my collection that I've been amassing for from you know 25 years of going to Italy whenever I possibly can of tiny napkins with little details in them and that kind of artfulness art artistry that Italians bring to the very basic things that they have day to day in their life these kind of little details and so my collection of matchbooks and Sandwich bags panini paper bags and fruit wrappers and I bought all of that to them and they did something really great and kind of Took inspiration from that scrapbook
2: and and the
0: photography and the photography was um I actually Found the photographer before I'd written the book or had a publishing deal It was about it was when it was about four years ago and I was in January Reading New York Times website and saw a photograph of meatloaf and thought, <laughs> I, that's the greatest <laughs> photo I've ever seen. I love it. And that's if I ever wrote a book, that's what I'd want the pictures to look like. want
2: my ice cream to look like meatloaf.
0: Well, he he just kind of the photographer. He's called Grant Cornett. I looked him up and I was like, oh my goodness, he's called Cornett. <laughs> and I do. It was meant to be. I do kind of I do tend to sort of wait until things are meant to be rather than just get them as I need them which is why everything takes me so long but um, I, I loved his photographs because they're like a little bit surreal um, and very colourful and a little bit retro as well which is so much about what I love about Italy and Italian ice cream parlours they're kind of before they get done up and modernised and made, made all white and sleek which is what's happening now I love yeah, that kind of retro appeal um, so I emailed him and said, hello, <laughs> my name's Kitty. <laughs> um, I make ice cream and I love your pictures. Would you ever think about doing an ice cream book? And he lived in New York and said, I've been wanting to come to Europe for ages. So great, I'll come this summer. So then I had to scurry around getting it ready. And I paid for him to come and take the pictures. And we did it in five days in my ice cream shed in the hottest summer that's ever been it was four years ago it was boiling it was, a, it was like this trying to shoot ice cream which is notoriously difficult the most difficult thing a food stylist can do but there was no food stylist it was just me and grant and my Get racing my kind of clock. historical freezer collection that i've got in my what i call my ice cream shed and no air conditioning so i bought a block of ice and i bought a fan because <laughs> i thought i'd read somewhere that that would work to kind of cool things down. So I had over five days this 25 kilo block of ice and a fan blowing on it and it didn't do anything. <laughs> 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 um, and yeah, we took the photos and you know, you can't regret anything. We had a great time and I, I'm, I'm really happy with them. We took some lovely shots and uh, because there was nobody else involved, we just did it our way. So that was that was good.
2: I think, I mean, I, I think I can't imagine, how you would have done it without the ice cream dripping everywhere. But I think the results are amazing. I think it's so...
0: Well, there's a picture in the beginning of the book. You see my freezer and all of the, melt, all of the meltiness. Yeah. It was really stressful though. I mean, it, it put 10 years on me. And the other thing was because we were shooting a kind of a year's worth of recipes. So I make about 90 recipes in a year and I make them, I think the flavors go in and out as weeks pass. So I wait for the fruits to arrive seasonally and then I'll use them for a couple of weeks and then replace it with something else. So I had to have all of these (laughs) flavours ready for Grant to shoot and he was coming in July which was good. So about a month earlier I started making all of these 90 recipes and I had this big old 1970s chest freezer and every day I used to make a few more recipes ready to have for when he arrived so that we could photograph them. And about... I did it for a month and I used to check the freezer every day and just look at all these ice creams feeling so proud and happy with myself that my beautiful collection of ice creams was there and about a week before I came into my shed and I call it a shed and I just there was something wrong (laughs) in the air and what I realised that was now was the hum of freezers which is normally very apparent had stopped and I walked over to the freezer and lifted the lid and I picked up a tub of ice cream and shook it and it just made this sloppy noise oh and the freezer no. had broken and it Oh,
2: my God.
0: So then I had a week to make all of the recipes that <laughs> I normally make in a year before he got there. Yeah, yeah, it nearly killed me. It was really bonkers. <laughs> but we did it.
2: But now you look at the pictures and I bet you don't even think about that. Oh, no, I do. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I really do. But, um... You know, I don't. I don't know what lesson can be learned from that, really. Mine mm. alarm for your freezers yeah. for when your electricity blows.
2: Do you have one now? No. No. Lesson, <laughs> lesson not learned. No,
0: my life. Uh, my my twin obsessions are ice cream and freezers. I'm obsessed with refrigeration and cooling systems.
2: Yeah, yeah. It's a. L- it's for quite a dry subject. It can <laughs> take quite, <laughs> quite a lot of your of your mind space. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, I can talk about extractions if you want for a long time. Let's talk about yeah. it Let's afterwards. Not, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, guys. Um, so, the book started with the images, mm-hmm. or it started with your yeah. ambition for it. I've
0: really been wanting to write it a long time, though, because as well as my ice cream recipes, it's got a lot of all of the things that I wish I'd put in diaries over the years of working abroad and living in Italy. And I've uh, lived and cooked in Italy as much as I possibly could over the years and I was worried that I'd grow old and never put the stories down so all of the kind of little tales are in there as well.
2: And how lovely they are I mean this you you will you know I I guess a spoiler alert yeah but the the letters that Kitty wrote to all the ice cream parlors they make a return appearance they come back they're not lost (laughs) you'll have to read the book for yourself and there's a lot of anecdotes about you know, like we said, foraging in London. there's a lot about the different fruit and how to how to you know tackle them. There's just a, a treasure of not only ice cream but also so many other lovely and funny and quite touching things. Because I think really the, the thing about ice cream is that it it does you know you do react to it in a very childlike. Man, Well,
0: is it's the first. I, I, th- I think about it a lot. And first of all, and this is a bit You gross, think a lot about ice cream, about really. <laughs> <laughs> about why ice cream's so popular. And there are quite dry reasons for it. And then there are the emotional ones. And the dry reasons to kind of get into sort of the chemistry of cooking. I, I read a book called um, Why Humans Love Junk Food once. And I don't think ice cream is junk food. I think it's a really nutritious, lovely Healthy food, but um, one of the reasons humans love eating it is because it's a whipped frozen emulsion. Okay, so humans love emulsions because they're silky smooth and kind of have this extraordinary texture that we love eating. We love whipped, light foods because they have what's called a high satiety, so you can eat a lot of them without feeling full up, like popcorn, so it's just really fun to keep eating and eating. And then frozen foods change texture so they engage your brain while you're eating them and you stay interested in what you're eating. And then the emotional reasons humans love it, because everybody, when I do my course at at the School of Artisan Food, we always start by asking the class their favorite ice cream eating memories and everyone's got one everyone's got a flavor that they remember eating and then they always connected that flavor to a place as well and it's really ingrained in our memories of being happy I suppose and then the other thing is that ice cream I think it's possibly one of the first choices you're given as a child when somebody says to you which flavor do you want and then you're like <gasps> Oh no! How am I gonna choose? It's so stressful. Maybe it's the first stress you feel. <laughs> <No, but laughs> that also the first
2: kind of very empowering.
0: Yeah, the first choice. Yeah, yeah the first yeah, decision. I think about that. I think I, t- I certainly remember being given that choice and it just being too oh. much for me. <laughs> because, like,
2: even still as an adult, when you when you go to the uh, to the ice cream shop mm. and you'd have all the different flavors It's never even that you know your favorites you're always like mm.
0: yeah what if what if I miss a really yeah. good one yeah I still yeah, yeah. feel that I have to eat ice cream with my sister who gives me a really strict talking to and says what is going to happen if you choose the wrong flavor <laughs> it's not <laughs> going to be that bad
2: you're going to live you're going to live yeah. yeah yeah it's sometimes hard to remember that <laughs> it's only ice cream next for La Grotta Ice Cream is there going to be a La Grotta Ice Cream shop
0: um, I would love to have an ice cream parlour, that's what I'd love more than anything, yeah. I want to have an ice cream parlour with my sister who makes underwear and have an ice cream in <laughs> underwear In sure. Rome. Maybe. Yeah. Uh, well, I'd love to have it in London because I love oh, London she makes and... It oh, yeah, she yeah, she's, she's in Rome. I'm, I'm waiting until someone gives me a shop. <laughs> um. Well,
2: we're waiting until someone gives you a shop, until then we have that lovely book to make your ice cream we we didn't make the ice cream you'll be happy to hear kitty brought her own ice cream uh normally we always try and make something from the book but we had the opportunity to get the original thing which which we can't always have Mm -hmm. so lucky us uh we're gonna have ice cream in a bit but we're gonna ask if someone has any Thoughts, questions, feelings, or emotions that they want to share with the Other group. Other
0: than just being really hot. Yeah,
2: <laughs> everybody. The, uh, the ice cream is coming. It's
0: my own.
2: One. Yes, Esther.
0: My was when you're traveling to all these places. Um, how do you a scout out a good place to eat ice cream? I mean, if it's busy, that's a good sign. But then how do you choose things if you've never... I don't think if it's busy, that is a good sign. Mm-mm. I remember working in a... Um, I went to work... I worked on a pig farm a few years ago. might seem a bit irrelevant, but it wasn't. It was very relevant because it was wonderful uh, farmers that lived there. And anyway, that's another story. But they sent me off to an ice cream shop near them that was the most popular ice cream maker in town, which was the sort of Adriatic coast of Italy, and this guy, it was in November and there were queues going out the door, and it was kind of mounds of ice cream and people guzzling ice cream, and I ate a lot of it, because I was tasting lots of different flavours, and I got this kind of gloopy sensation as I ate it, and then this funny cough afterwards, which... I used to notice a lot when I ate lots of ice cream and I went and spent a weekend working with this guy who was a Sicilian ice cream maker who had adapted all of um, his machinery with bits of Italian sports cars so that it was faster and more (laughs) efficient than any other ice cream makers. And he had this kind of glistening stainless steel kitchen of these fantastic machines that cost thousands of euros, like tens of thousands of euros per machine. And I went into his fridge and was like, uh, where, where's the milk? He's like, oh, no, 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 I don't use milk because what if, you know, you're, what if they don't turn up? What if your order does, isn't delivered in time? How am I going to fulfill all of these people who want to eat their ice cream? And I said, well, do you use cream? And he said, no, 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 I don't use cream because... Um, I use, and I think it was palm oil, he said, it was a fat, a vegetable fat, and he said it's much better than cream because it melts at blood temperature, whereas cream melts at a slightly lower temperature, and so when you eat it with this fat, then it really melts on your tongue and has this amazing sensation. And he was basically kind of creating this whipped, frozen emulsion of plastic, but people disguised as food and people loved it, they were guzzling it up because it has this sort of textural qualities and this mastery of ice cream making but it wasn't anything I'd recognise as being food and it happens a lot and it's like something there's a lot of in in, and like you know he was probably making loads of money and that's what he wanted to do so Good for him It's but also worth
2: mentioning the palm oil is what, a third of the price of cream.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And there's all sorts of stuff like that going on with ice cream making. And people forget about, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a bit spoilt where I am. I sell in Spa Terminus in Bermondsey, which is this amazing food produ- producers sort of hub in South East London. And the customers I've got eat really great food. We have great beer, great bread, great dairy and you get used to these flavors, but if you're not used to them, then you, your taste buds forget about them, and so you can be tricked into thinking that some things, I don't know, because, yeah.
2: So how, how do you find so good So how places? do you find
0: good ice cream? So um, one of the tips for looking for good ice cream is, I always look for places um, where it's kept under, it's called carapine, carapine like wells, or pozzetti they're stainless steel and they have lids on so the ice cream's in a freezer it's not a big shiny mound of ice cream on display because to be that kind of ice cream it needs a lot of magical stuff in it to give it the texture that stands out of a freezer and is still soft and scoopable and the right texture and I'm not I mean like I grew up eating quite rubbish quality food I'm not saying it's the end of the world but I just think that we eat so many processed foods day to day without really realizing what we're consuming that it makes me not want to cook like that and not want to make food that's got stuff like that in it thing another ingredient you get a lot in um, ice cream making is dry milk powder which is like this kind of amazing invention that makes ice cream it gives it richness and sort of chewiness and structure but it's in so much it's in like margarine crisp cereal bread yogurts and so people are eating much more of it than they used to
2: or or they should
0: probably yeah no. and it's very high in lactose it has about 75% lactose compared with fresh milk which has about 4.5% so if you're eating it in almost everything you eat if you just buy like shop food it's not your fault because you don't know but you're eating it in bigger quantities than we're used to, or we ever used to. Anyway, I can, I'm ranting about it, <laughs> but... How <laughs> um, have you got the perfect opportunity to bring your love for ice cream and your earlier ambition of a club. A disco home in an ice cream van? In a van? Ice cream van. I do, I do have a van. It doesn't have music, oh. sadly. That's one thing that's it's definitely lights, missing. But I don't know. I, I always wanted one of the ones, I can't remember what it's called, but the old-fashioned, it's like a barrel with little bits sticking out and you turn a handle and it goes, bing, 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 and mm-hmm. makes that ice cream sound. I don't know if that would really get people going. <laughs> you about what your, what your tune would be? the ice cream van but what's the musical ice cream Ooh, that's, a, that's a question I haven't been asked before. What's a I good ice cream, good. cream song? I have got a kind of playlist of, of songs that I listen to when I'm at work that all have slightly sugary themes, so it might be <laughs> one of those. You mentioned when you were working at the market, or the market that you had
2: to
0: have ingredients within like a certain radius there. Were there any flavours that you made or like you foraged things that you just thought this is the most splendid thing and vice versa like, this is just never going to work it's that it's the most like the most splendid flavour that you just never expected oh um yeah lots of things um I think of them as sort of lost flavours that are quite readily available but just aren't readily available on the high street I suppose but they're nothing really new they're things like blackcurrant leaves I talk about in the book as being this sort of amazing flavour that's quite unique, absolutely intriguing and marvellous. Like, I always sniff because I imagine the smell of them. It's, I, I can't quite describe it. It's, it. it's almost an exciting smell. It's really amazing. And, and it, you know, when I worked at St. John and we had to cook British food and British ingredients, I bought lots of quite historical, ice, uh, not ice cream making books, uh, recipe books about old British cuisine and all of these things were in these books so you know people were using it a long time ago so black currant leaves green walnuts is another one Mm -hmm. the flavor from them I would could never have guessed in a million years that from a bitter bitter practically inedible unripe walnut and these grow all over the UK as well but they usually get eaten by squirrels and don't get ripe that the flavor you'd get from them is like uh, so I make a green walnut liqueur every June and let it sit for a year and then I make ice cream out of it. And it tastes like espresso and butterscotch. And um, just, it's amazing. It's so delicious. Tastes a bit like butterscotch instant whip, but <laughs> a really good <laughs> version. It's just, yeah, there's lots of things like that.
1: Maybe mm-hmm. worst flavor.
0: My worst flavour? Um, my worst flavour? My worst flavour... The, the most disappointing flavors I have also put in the book as well, <laughs> but not recommended that you make ice cream out of them. And they're things that I've really, um, I've really kind of hoped would work and been excited about making them into ice creams, and they haven't. And those are cherry, uh, persimmon, and... Um, dragon. A prickly pear, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, prickly pear. That, the, it's fla- it's fruits that have their their qualities are textural. They're, they're they're sweet and they have a marvelous texture and they're juicy and that's what people enjoy about. And they're sharp even, but they don't have any
1: flavor.
0: Really? Aroma. If you smell a persimmon. It's, it's all about the texture and the sweetness its qualities and so when, when you're making ice cream you have to add sugar to a recipe because that's what keeps it soft and scoopable and when you're adding sugar to something like a persimmon and you're diluting its flavour even more so things like that don't really work and over the years kind of, I used to be more fun and make wild flavours and I don't do that anymore, I'm, I really just make these kind of serious fruit flavours now. Yeah, Only 90 though <laughs> <laughs>
2: So you just keep a very limited palette of 90 flavors. Yeah,
0: I need to really explore and go and find some more exotic fruits and start making.
2: No, but there is some things that you think would work in an ice cream or so and really don't. Like, I'm really keen to try the, the watermelon... Sorbet, Watermelon because and we've, fig. Yeah, because mm. we've tried a couple of times with watermelon and sorbet. And we never had much success. I think
1: success. it's the same like I always think there's too much water and not anything else really going on.
2: Not
0: there. enough flavor. And yeah. sometimes you can't improve on perfection and a slice of icy watermelon is its own to cold watermelon, to talk, yeah. is its own delicious sorbet. Yeah. I mean, it's a really cute idea. You can kind of put the chocolate chips in, <laughs> but, but adding fig really is... The, the, s- the recipe I do have is for fig and watermelon sorbet, and it's really—it's it's like lovely. it's so gives is it a a texture and remember. a bit of aroma. Mm.
2: Cool. Question or ice cream? That's a that's a tricky choice. <laughs> there's, a, there's a few on the fence there, Louisa. What are your top three
0: ice creams? Oh, flavors. <laughs> when I this when I, I oh, that's a good <laughs> question because they have to go together. This yeah. is one of the things that just makes life makes ice cream choosing very difficult. <laughs> but my my kind of classic choice if I'm in Italy I was, uh, I, I love zabaioni ice cream and I can't I haven't like had I've never made one as good as the ones I can get in Italy of zabaioni.
1: <laughs> yeah, probably.
0: <laughs> and I love coffee ice cream, so coffee, zabaione, like two, and then I love fragola limone, like strawberry and lemon as well, and with whipped cream, of course, because you need the cream to balance it. Quite simple ones.
2: Listening to you talk about ice cream, I could do that a lot, but I think eating your ice cream. oh
0: here we go. <laughs> I better something flex that we my ice cream as Hi, you going to scoop it for us. Sure. On which ice
2: creams? Yes, what, what did you bring for oh, us?
0: Oh, so I've, got, I've bought, first of all, I've bought um, delicious brioche, because one of the nicest ways to eat ice cream is in a brioche, like mm-hmm. they do in Sicily, and the brioche should be, shouldn't be crisp and crusty, it should be quite soft and squishy, so it really fits squishily in your hand, and then you want to cut it open and fill it with ice cream, and then ideally with some whipped cream as well, but I forgot to... To bring to bring that or whip some cream, and the brioche kind of insulates the ice cream and stops it melting too quickly, which is why you'll find them in Sicily and southern Italy particularly.
2: It's hotter.
0: And then at the end of eating your ice cream, and there's no waste as well. It's like an ice cream cone. You'll get a brioche which is quite kind of soaked up the melty ice cream. It's really good. So and then I've bought four flavors of ice cream. Um, I'm going to do them two flavors at a time and a brioche. I've bought the nocchino, which is the green walnut ice cream made from the green walnut liqueur that I make and um, with a fig leaf and raspberry sorbet. Um, the fig leaves, um, they taste like coconut. It's really funny, as I'm sure you know, having cooked with them and you can use them to cook a lot. And I just cut them up like tagliatelle and steep them in the sugar syrup for the raspberry sorbet and then a lot of fresh raspberries. And then the other two flavours I've bought are apricot noyo ice cream, which is where it's an apricot ice cream. And then I flavour the base with the kernel from inside the apricot stone, which tastes like bitter almond. It tastes like a bit marzipan And then a milk ice, so it's it's like my version of a fiordilatte, latte, where I thicken it with vegetable starch and a tiny bit of cream. And it's a ricotta ice cream, so the ricotta kind of adds the protein that gives it the texture with lots of candied Peel and chocolate and pistachio nuts. Oh, my God. This, this ice cream, actually, that ricotta one is kind of a bit insane because it's made of every January I try and go to <coughs> Italy and get funny citrus fruits and bring them back in my suitcase. And then I candy them. So then I've got a year's worth of amazing candied fruits. and quite. S- so that might, if you're lucky, you might get a bit of um, quinotto, which is a quite rare little mm. bitter orange and... Certainly some funny little citron varieties and bitter oranges and Well, hopefully
2: you'll get one in your ice cream. Uh, A big hand, please, to this girl. uh Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Honey and Coke. We hope you enjoyed it. Even if you didn't get to try the food, I promise everything was absolutely delicious. There are some wonderful guests coming up in the next few weeks and will be available to download. So make sure you subscribe to us on iTunes and please leave us a review if you can. that will be really, really great for us. This show is expertly produced by Hester Kant, music by the great Ellis Russell. If you want to come along to one of our talks, you can join our mailing list on our website, honeyandco.co.uk or follow us on our social media at honeyandco.